Ryan, are you there? Hello, Michael. Hello, Internet. Hello, world. Hello, worldwide Internet. Welcome to another edition of the Fucking Sack Show. I'm Michael Saxon, Richmond, Virginia. Ryan Buckley, you're in Portland, Oregon. Ryan, it's Wednesday night, November the 18th, 8.15 East Coast time. How are you? Uh, I am well, with the exception of the sad Warriors news. As a yeah. Warriors fan, uh, saw about an hour ago that Clay Thompson suffered a serious leg injury while working out in SoCal today, yeah. and it's just a huge bummer. We don't know how bad it is yet. Um, have have seen rumors bandied about on the Twitterverse, um, but it doesn't sound good, and it's just a huge bummer. The guy hasn't played since the NBA Finals against the Raptors. He was coming off an ACL, and now he hurt something in the other leg. And right. He's a good dude. He's a ton of fun to watch play basketball. So it kind of just sucks for everyone. And um, don't mean to start the show on a negative note, but I'm a big Warriors fan. And I'm a big Clay fan, so I'm disappointed. I am too. I I'm disappointed. I'm a big Warriors fan. I'm a big Clay fan. And you know the NBA draft is underway. The Warriors are about to make their pick, the number two pick overall, a piece they were hoping to add to a now healthy backcourt that included a now healthy. Splash Brothers and make mm -hmm. another run here at a fourth NBA title, and it seems that that's all gone up in smoke an hour before the draft starts. It totally sucks. Yeah, it's a it's a big time bummer, and uh, you know, it's I was hoping that we'd kind of get a, an opportunity to see this Warriors core um, again together, all healthy after we'd seen a couple, you know, a year and a half of that really not being the case. Yeah, uh, and, uh, and and you know now. You, you wonder if that's ever going to happen again. Uh, you know, you don't mean to be doom and gloom, but uh, it's it's a big bummer. Uh, but uh, at least I got that number two pick. Yeah. Um, interested to see who they take uh, here tonight in the virtual NBA draft. But why don't you start us off with uh, your good of the week. Take us down to Augusta National in Georgia from the big event this past weekend. Yeah, it was a totally different version of uh, the Masters. The first time it had ever been played in November. They held a college game day out there on Saturday morning, yeah. which is pretty cool. Um, and, you know, other than the weather delay to start the tournament on Thursday, uh, the weather looked great out there. I mean, it was just, it was kind of like sports eye candy. Um, wa watching that tournament, the colors were popping, the, um, the, the weather was just perfect. And because of the softer conditions from the rain and the time of year, a lot of really low scores. I mean, the guy who finished runner-up uh, was the first player ever to have all four rounds in the 60s at Augusta, and he, and he lost by five strokes. Um, so, it, you know, it was – and I think when you look at an event like that, especially during a time where there isn't any one golfer who is really dominating the landscape like Tiger um, has done in the past, um, but – it's what you what you ideally want as a viewer is for all the big names to be towards the top of the leaderboard come the weekend. And that's exactly what happened. You had a ton of guys, um, Rory, DJ, uh, Xander, uh, John Rahm. I mean, all Justin these guys Thomas, Justin yeah. Thomas. Ryan, I think on Saturday, at, you know, mm -hmm. on the Saturday pairing sheet, you had the three top three players in the world all yeah. tied for the lead for the first time in a major on a Saturday ever. With Johnson, yeah, Rahm, and Thomas. Yeah, it was incredible. And then, and then on, on top of it, you put in guys who are certainly um, contenders who were tied up there. You know, you had um, Xander Shoffley, mm -hmm. who was up there. You had, and then you had a couple kind of upstart surprise guys in Cameron Smith and Abraham Answer. And I, I liked getting to watch some of these guys who I wasn't all that familiar with and some of their game, uh, specifically Cameron Smith and Sung J M. Those guys can just stripe it. They're pretty. They're pretty clinical and. Um, the, the youth movement in golf is getting to be pretty impressive. But uh, but overall, I just had a ton of fun watching the tournament. It was not the same without spectators. You didn't have probably the amount of pressure on DJ uh, that you would in most years. Mm -hmm. um, but he's certainly a worthy champion. I mean, from Saturday on, all he could do was hit the ball straight off the tee. And uh, and he was really just dialed. He he uh, let the, he played to the conditions. And uh, and I despite the fact it was at a weird time of year, under weird circumstances, um, I had a blast watching this tournament, mostly because of how competitive it was, um, at least going into Saturday. Agree. I'm going to stop right here, though. I, we have breaking news from the NBA draft. Put up the red Lee Siegel breaking news banner. Um, <laughs> the, the Wolves select your boy Anthony Edwards out of the University of Georgia with the number one pick. The Warriors take James Wiseman, who played about a game and a half for Memphis. They take mm -hmm. him with the number two pick, and your Charlotte Hornets are taking LaMelo Ball with the third pick. So that's our NBA mm -hmm. draft update. Live updates that you will hear recorded. Absolutely. 
Um, the Masters. <laughs> Dustin Johnson, very worthy champion. He's been the number one player for the better parts of two years. This is his second major, his first green jacket. You saw the emotion from him after the round from a man who mm-hmm. really shows, I mean, almost very no little. emotion ever. I actually got a chance to sit down and interview him once um, at Pebble Beach where he was the defending champion with the aforementioned Lee Siegel right over my shoulder, interestingly enough. And he was really, just his whole vibe was very weird. I mean, he he just... Dry? So dry. So just didn't care. But not in like a jerkish way. Just in a genuine... I don't care at all about anything that you're saying way. Like aloof or apathetic. Extremely aloof, extremely apathetic. And that was my only encounter. Obviously, I don't know him at all. Uh, People say various things about him. He's engaged. He's been with uh, the great one, Wayne Gretzky's uh, daughter, Paulina, for quite some time. I don't think they're married at this point. You know, it's interesting, too. They do have a kid, though. They do At least one. I think they have two now. They might have two. Yeah. And, you know, his brother, uh, AJ is on the bag, his caddy. So that's sort of an mm-hmm. interesting thing there, too. Uh, a South Carolina family are the Johnsons. But a great win. You know, it was the lowest-rated Masters, one of the lowest-rated in history. And we're, yeah. and we're seeing now just this trend across almost every sport. Uh, the NFL, yeah. we knew, would have great ratings. I don't think it's doing quite as well as many would have expected, or certainly as well as... I expected it just seems that during this pandemic, for whatever myriad of, of multitude of combined reasons, people aren't watching live sports as much as they used to, yeah. which I don't know. D- does it surprise you at all that it that's does. the case? Yeah, it does mostly because I, I feel like more people are forced to be at home and in front of the television yeah. and not going out. So I, I thought you know, that when sports came back, we were going to get this huge surge and spike. And then, you know, I don't know if it's because the atmosphere is different or I don't know if it's because everything has kind of been, uh, had, had a wrench thrown into it timing wise from what the norm is. But I am a little bit surprised that across the board, across all sports, really, that it's taking the dip that it has. Me too. I, I totally agree with that. I mean, I guess that, you know, there's a lot of people and we've talked about this consistently throughout the pandemic. Uh, a lot of people aren't as fortunate as we are. You know, they, they've mm-hmm. either have been sick or, or dealing with loved ones who are sick or looking for work or can't afford the cable package anymore or whatever it is. I think that a lot of that is in play here. And I think that people have just been distracted and are doing other things. But then the other thing, and honestly, I think this has more to do with it than anything. And, and we've also talked about this a lot. It's just the fragmentation of the audience with the screens. There's so many options for people to watch these days. I mean, all the different streaming services from Netflix to Hulu to HBO Max and Showtime and and Amazon Prime and all of it. Uh, We don't need to name them all. Apple TV. There's so many different things for people to watch. I think that has... Well, that's the thing too, is that like, and I don't, I don't know what is still being counted. I know that when we were working in TV, the Nielsen ratings were considered pretty antiquated. And like me personally, like I watch all my sports on YouTube TV. Yep. I know a bunch of people can do it on Hulu. Same. So if, if that's how people are getting it, it might actually be that viewership isn't that far down. It's just that they're not watching it on cable anymore. But I don't know how they're accounting for it. They're not. You make a great point. And we've made this point before too. They're not factoring in the streaming numbers on these ratings when they're comparing them to previous events. And it's a huge problem. And I don't, like, it's almost in some ways to a totally different and lesser degree. I do think in some ways it's analogous to the way the coronavirus numbers are being reported sometimes. That what is, the the headline is not telling the full story. There's no context. There's no nuance. I think there's a similar thing going on here. But it's, yes. it's, it's much easier to explain. They're just not counting the streaming numbers. So I think that that's a great point that you make. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of a bummer, honestly, to see this master so low so, rated. Another thing that I think contributes to it is Sunday was straight up boring. I mean, Dustin yeah. Johnson enters the day with a four-stroke lead. Well, he just went scorched earth on Saturday. He did. You know, it's, it's like there, there wasn't any drama left. There wasn't. I mean, it, he it, shot it a 65 within, on Saturday. You know, he was like 
he was like four or five holes in, and I think he'd had a couple bogeys, and uh, the lead was down to two, that's, and that was as close as it got. That's right. After the fourth hole, he had hit one of four fairways. The lead was down to two. Cameron Smith was playing well, but that was it. I mean, from the fifth hole on, Johnson was lights out, and the tournament was over, mm-hmm. and it was basically unwatchable. I enjoyed watching it a lot. I watched a lot on Thursday and Friday when I mm-hmm. was working from home. I thought it was fantastic. Those two days, the new and improved Masters app was incredible. Uh, a breakthrough for sports uh, watching technology where you could click on any golfer in the field and basically see every shot that he hit. Just amazing. Uh, an amazing job by them and their collaboration with IBM. And I think Intel, don't quote me on that. But, you know, those were some of the highlights for me. It was a good tournament. It ended up not being a great tournament. But all credit goes to Dustin Johnson now. Uh, An all-time great golfer, really, I think, he will go down as by the time his career is over. And now he's got two majors and one green jacket. So good for DJ. Good for DJ, indeed. Okay. uh, My good of the week is the National Football League. Um... On Sunday, because of the Masters being on CBS, you had six games in the, in the 4 o'clock Eastern time slot, whereas normally you only get about three. And mm-hmm. the red zone on that, on that slot was really, really good, highlighted, of course, by a tremendous Hail Mary ending to the Arizona-Buffalo game. A great game throughout. Um, two really good, young, dynamic quarterbacks going head-to-head. It ends with... Josh Allen throwing a, a touchdown pass to Stephon Diggs. With a, a sick catch, by the way. Sick catch. Um, I mean, that, that'll be completely forgotten. It will. And, and, and Buffalo, in the moment, I'm thinking, Buffalo's celebrating too much. There's a lot of time on the clock. They were celebrating a lot, and I just didn't like that vibe. Kyler Murray gets the ball. He has to score a touchdown. A field goal's no good. They're down by four. He, he scrambles on the final play and throws just a laser to the end zone where the executioner rises up and grabs the ball out of the air over three Buffalo defenders, and DeAndre Hopkins comes down with it. Touchdown, Cardinals. Just an all-time, really, an all-time great ending to an NFL game. I think it was the first uh, Hail Mary for a win since Aaron Rodgers did it in that same stadium in 2015. So it's the first time in five years we've seen uh, a a game end with the last last snap like that. I remember that play well. Yeah, I didn't remember that it was in Arizona, and it seems Mm -hmm. like more than five years ago. Yeah, 2015. Okay. Uh, Good knowledge, but a fun slate on Sunday. And this weekend, Ryan, I think we've got another really good slate. Yes, very good game. Led off by tomorrow night, a game I'm already getting my fire pit ready. I'll be watching the game outside uh, on, my, on my outdoor TV. Cardinals and Seahawks. Kyler Murray versus Russell Wilson, two of the best young quarterbacks in the game. Uh, Hopkins going up against DJ Metcalf, two of the best receivers in the game. It's going to be a, a, just a heck. How lucky are we that we get that for, for Thursday night to start off the weekend? Yeah, I think that I I, want to say that the way they set it up is that every team gets one Thursday night game throughout the season. So, like, you're you're liable to get some some crappy ones throughout. But you should get some good ones, and this is absolutely one of the good ones. I mean, the Seahawks don't play any defense. Uh, Russell Wilson has come back down to earth after starting off uh, kind of the first quarter of the season with what looked like MVP. Uh, Yeah, he's been turning the ball over a ton. But, you know, Kyler Murray and the Cardinals are really coming into their own there. Now on tiebreakers, the leader of this division. And, uh, and you know, it's just I love games that you feel like uh, you're just going to go out and, and watch the, the playmakers win the game, and that's what this kind of game feels like. I mean, that's what happened last week um, between Arizona and Buffalo. You mentioned Allen Diggs, Murray, Hopkins. I mean, the, the best players in the league making incredible plays in crunch time is, like, it's why we watch. And, I you know, I think that you've got a matchup certainly lends itself to that um, this coming Thursday that I'm, I'm really excited for. 100%. And then the other two primetime games, the Sunday Nighter, Chiefs, Raiders, very, very good. And then the Monday Nighter, Rams, Buccaneers, and NFC battle, very, very good. So all three primetime games this weekend, really good. I love that. My kids go to bed. I can really settle in and watch. It's not easy to stay up till 1130 midnight here on the East Coast, but I will watch all three of those games. I'm really looking forward to those three games coming up this weekend starting tomorrow night. So that's my good of the week. 
Yeah, and actually, I'll, I'll add to that too. I think there are a couple more games that I'm I'm looking forward to that aren't just that aren't just the primetime ones mm-hmm. this weekend. But you've also got uh, Green Bay and um, Indy, Green, Green Bay and Indy, which I, I'm I'm interested to see yep. because both of those teams are are very competitive, but I, I have my doubts about them. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see how that one shakes out. Yep. Um, and then, yeah, the, one, the ones you mentioned uh, are also really good. I also think Titans Ravens is interesting. I mean, the Titans have kind of fallen off a little bit. Uh, the Ravens obviously losing last week in a rainy Foxborough see kind of which team is going to rebound here as they looked to be um, two of the top contenders in, in the AFC at the start of the season. And now have slid back to six and three, each of them. So smelly lot, lots of, Lots of good, good intrigue. Smelly line alert there as we as we tease going forward, going into the book on that game. And then you know I'm really into my man Tua here. He's three and zero as a starter in the NFL. He's taking his taking his talents to mile high on Sunday. So I'm you know I love Tua. I now want to see all of his games in Miami's game. So looking forward to that one as well. What's your bat of the week? Uh, so my bat of the week comes to us from the world of college basketball and Greg Marshall, the situation at Wichita State. Now, uh, for those unfamiliar, Greg Marshall uh, has a, a reputation of being uh, a hard ass, a yeller, a screamer, uh, someone who is known for berating officials and, 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 and being tough on his guys. Um, but there have been allegations of abuse and racism that have come out of that program now um, from a number of different players uh, who said that uh, the abuse abuse was both uh, physical and emotional. And, uh, you know, I get that there is an old school kind of bygone era that is now passed that a lot of people are, are kind of too sensitive to handle. But by all accounts and all reports, if half of what is being said about Greg Marshall is true, he crossed the line a number of times uh, and, and and went way, way beyond the scope of tough love. And uh, and now he is, uh, despite seemingly to have cause to give him his walking papers at Wichita State, the dude leaves with $7.7 million. And I just don't understand this system where, I mean, I, I guess the only logical explanation is that he has something over the university that they were complicit in somehow or knew about some of the things that he was doing and chose to ignore it because I don't understand what incentive they would have to give someone like that with allegations like that, that kind of money to just go away. Um, and and I, I think it sucks. I think the, you know, the NCAA is supposed to be here to protect the players. It ends up lining well, the pockets of, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it doesn't, it's a, it's a farce. It, it ends up lining the pockets of old rich white guys and it's, and, and it's now another situation where the, the 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 aggressor or the person who is most certainly in the wrong here is walking away with millions of dollars, and I just don't understand it. Yeah, well, I don't either. But generally speaking, when these types of issues arise, it really comes down to the the, the same two things that everything comes down to, which is money and power, and especially yep. uh, legal power. And I think that a lot of the the reason. And I don't really know. I, I'm, I'm purely speculating. A lot of the reason Wichita State's paying him in excess of $7 million to go away, despite the fact that they might have cause to fire him without any sort of money, is they just don't want to get into a prolonged legal battle and uncover probably what you just said, that they knew at least some of this stuff was going on and they did yeah. nothing about it. In fact, they covered it up probably for years and they're they don't paying want for the that situation to, to yeah they're paying for the story and the situation to go away as well as him a hundred percent and you know I was always a big Greg Marshall fan uh, I was a fan of his work he's a good coach I mean he took good him coach. to what two Final Fours he wasn't a good coach he was a great coach I mean yeah, yeah he yeah. did a lot with a little you know of all the players they've had really mm-hmm. only one has made it into the end as an NBA player, and that's Fred Van Fleet of the of the Raptors. So they've done they, – they won a lot of games with subpar talent, and I thought he was a hell of a coach. I really wanted Syracuse to have Bayheim retire and bring Greg Marshall in. I, I wanted that for years. But it turns out that Greg Marshall is a total piece of shit. And, yep, you know, a racist, uh, a bully at best. And, yeah. um, you know – and it's not just like there's it's just stories about him. I mean, there you could find videos of him all over the internet of like trying to physically attack officials and uh, players. And I mean, it's not it, there. There's widespread video evidence of this guy being a total asshole. Right. So what I thought was sort of 
just a hard-nosed mentality was certainly much, much more and much, mm -hmm. much worse. And that, that can't be tolerated. And that sort of brings me to my bad of the week. And my bad of the week uh, piggybacks on, on another story coming out of college athletics, specifically the LSU football program and Ed Ordron mm -hmm. and the LSU athletic department. And this is really the second time that this story has bubbled to the surface. It bubbled out a few months ago, and, and for some reason it went away. But the allegations are basically that Darius Geis, who I think is a second-year pro, um, with the Redskins. I'm not even, and, and I'm not sure he's in the league anymore. He's not. He's they been, kicked him off released. the team. But he yeah. was a really good running back before mm -hmm. their national championship team last year. He basically bridged the gap from Leonard Fournette to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Um, mm -hmm. But apparently he was sexually abusive and, and allegedly raped his girlfriend on numerous, numerous occasions, who was a female tennis player at LSU. And now there's other allegations of other athletes, um, both in football and other sports, you know, getting away with rape and sexual abuse and sexual assault of some other female tennis players and some other female students at large. And it turns out, you know, the allegations are, or not only did head coach Ed Orgeron know about, know about it, but the whole athletic department knew about it. Uh, the, the ladies, you know, who, who are, and if I, if I understand correctly, they, in most cases, they basically chose not to investigate. They just said, you know, we're not going to talk to these, these uh, alleged victims. We're, we're not, we, we don't want to know what the details are here. So we're, we're just going to ignore them. Right. And, I, you know, I'm just tired of this shit going on across yeah. America at yeah. both the college and pro level. And when you really look at it and think about it, Ryan, I think that we are now in an era, you know, call it what you will. Some would call it the Me Too era, where it's more and more becoming safe for ladies who have been assaulted or raped to come forward and, and, and sort of tell their story. But yet, our culture still has a long way to go because the male-dominated culture of sports is so used to sort of this sort of thing happening over and over again over the years. And now, it's it, you know, whenever you hear these stories, you have so many people just saying, oh, the, the, the woman is, is probably making it up. She's just money-hungry or whatever the common refrain is. And I'm just sick of the whole thing. I'm sick of it from the top down, from administration's to coaches, to even fans. This type of behavior is not, it should not be tolerated. And our society has to move forward on this. I mean, you just sort of, it's like, I mean, I don't want to compare it to anything because it's its own thing. But just think about how many times this has gone on over yeah. the last hundred years oh, in yeah. sports. And, and even before that, just, just yeah, all just of society. All, this is a societal problem not just in America, but all over the world, wherever the men are in power and women are in positions of less than power, then, you know, the men are in power and, and they can sort of get away with things that are not only against the law, but are, are also morally wrong and they, and they shouldn't be tolerated anymore. And I'm not trying to get on my high horse. I'm not trying to virtue signal. I'm being serious. This has got to stop. And as sports fans, like, it's got to start, I think, with the fans. Fans have to start caring. I mean, the, the, the examples are endless, whether it's Ray Rice or uh, mm -hmm. Joe Mixon or Kareem Hunt more recently. You know, Kareem Hunt gets yep. kicked off the Chiefs, and now he's toting the rock for the Browns. And, you know, he mm -hmm. went away for a year. But, you know, the NFL brings, brings him back in. I'm not sure what we need to do about it, but I'm just, you know, it just seems like the average fan, particularly male fan and probably female fan too, they don't really care. They just want to turn the TV on, on whether it's Saturday or Sunday and watch their favorite players play, watch their favorite teams play, watch their fantasy players do well. And that, and mm -hmm. they don't want to think about it. They don't want to worry about it. They don't want to read this story or that story. And I get that. I do. I understand that. But I just wish that we as a society would be less tolerant of this culture of sort of turning the other cheek when clear and present and repeated allegations are brought forward. And I wish there was just a safer environment for, for women to feel safe going to the cops or going to their boss or going to their school athletic department or, or whatever it is. And I wish they'd feel safer and more comfortable. But more than that, I just wish...
that men would stop abusing women. Yeah. I mean, and you know, it's, it's in the USA Today uh, article that, that basically was um, kind of airing out most of these allegations and, and, the, and the various reports um, for each individual case. Uh, I mean, they, they were really ugly. And, and there was one stat that jumped out to me and said in the United States, four out of five victims of sexual assault don't come forward. So if these women are saying it, um, and, and, you know, I, I know obviously that number is speculative, but this has been studied in depth. And uh, we are only scratching the surfaces at how pervasive and how bad this problem is. And yes. you're right, as, as sports fans, we can't just turn our brains off and say my my fandom and my team are, are to serve me and I don't care about anything else. We still have to be humans and turn our backs on people who are shitheads. Yeah. And it's like I'm so tired of the narrative that you know and You know what? It's not just sports. It's 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 movies, it's music. I mean, how many how many different rock stars or rappers have done awful things? I mean, or or how many or, or movie stars that have that have been you know, caught in bad situations. I mean, we saw the whole cancel culture rip through Hollywood. Uh, I mean, it's not, it's basically, it's always just, it seems like it's people in power who are, who are the, um, aggressors, the who are aggress who are, who are the aggressors, the violators and the ones who are getting away with it the most frequently and the ones who are most powerful, making people feel powerless. It's, it's, it's bad. It's, it's, it's bad. It's disgusting. I mean, and, and the more you think about it, the darker and worse it gets. It really. So uh, that's my bad of the week. What's your interesting? Uh, my interesting of the week is uh, the power struggle in the NBA and the kind of the microcosm, the, the small view version of it specifically centers around the Rockets, but I'll get to where I think it's kind of a bigger question. Um, so basically, the Rockets have started blowing it up, so to speak. Uh, their head coach, Mike D'Antoni, is gone. Their GM, Daryl Morey, is gone. And now they are, um, they've are they got unhappy superstars. Both Russell Westbrook and James Harden apparently won out of town. There are various reports, one being that uh, Harden and Westbrook don't care for the fact that their owner, Tillman Fertitta, is a huge trumper. Uh, another that they are upset about the fact that Tillman Fertitta does not want to stay in the luxury tax and doesn't want to, doesn't want to pay extra for having a good team. So um, you can take either one of those as the rationale for why, but basically Harden specifically is, I don't know if it's, I would go as far as say holding the team hostage yet, but he's basically said, I want, first of all, he turned down five years and 103 million. He turned down 50 million a year to stay there in an extension. Um, but he also has basically said, I want to be traded and you can't just trade me anywhere. I only want to go to the Nets. And I don't know exactly how that works. It's, I, I was kind of stunned when Kawhi and PG3 were able to orchestrate their, uh, you know, their respective trades to Los Angeles simultaneously last season. I don't really get how the guys that are under contract are able to just dictate the terms of exactly what they want. But then we get reports that Houston is willing to call the bluff and basically say we are fine being uncomfortable for a while. Now, what that means, I don't know, but we're about six weeks away from the season. And if they aren't able to get a deal done, I don't know if that means Harden sits out. I know that there's been reports about uh, Westbrook maybe doing a, a Westbrook for John Wall swap with the Wizards. Uh, I don't know that that has gotten anywhere. But I, I'm particularly interested in, in basically – who does have the power in the NBA? Because we always talk about it being a player's league, and often it's the players dictating the terms, and LeBron runs the show, or the superstars run the show. Uh, James Harden's certainly one of those superstars, and he's saying, I'm not playing here, I'm playing here, but the guy cutting his checks is saying, eh, we'll see. And I, I'm really interested to see how it goes, and I wonder what kind of a precedent it sets for the rest of the league, because there are very few guys that have the kind of power to be able to call their own shots, uh, but Harden's one of those guys that I thought maybe would have that power. And now uh, he's either having to pump the brakes or even if the uh, Houston ownership and management does cave to his demands, uh, they're not doing so readily. Uh, so I'll be interested to see how it all shakes out and, and really who has the power. Yeah, there, this is interesting. There's a lot of layers to this. And one of them that you have yet to mention is the owner, for, is it Fertitta? Is, is that Tillman Fertitta, yeah. Tillman Fertitta. He has been, he, uh, all, you know, if you believe the reports, he has been affected adversely by the pandemic as much, if not more, than any yes. owner in the NBA. Because he he's a big restaurateur. And, and casino. He owns, yes. he owns the Golden Nugget and I think another casino 
in Las Vegas. Um, and he's a huge restaurateur. Obviously, those two businesses have been really, really bad since March and are going to continue to be bad for the foreseeable future. So that's part of the, him not wanting to pay the luxury tax. As for Harden and Westbrook, I mean, we're talking about two of the great offensive players in the history of the game. They both averaged a triple-double for a season, which nobody had done previously uh, since Oscar Robertson. You know, they've both won MVPs. Of course, that you know, they've played one season together. It didn't go great, but it went, I guess, in some ways better than maybe you could have expected. I mean, the Rockets were within a made three of going to the finals two years ago where the Warriors famously came back and won uh, or came back from a 3-1 deficit the year mm -hmm. that Kevin Durant Yeah, they were hurt. on the verge. They were as close as you could be. And, and what, the, in that game seven, the, war, the Rockets, who at that point had the best three-point shooting team in the history of the league, I think they missed something like 37 threes in a row. 20, it was 27 in a row. 27. Yeah. 27 mm -hmm. missed threes in a row, which is still something I think doesn't get enough attention. To me, that's one of the great terrible choke jobs in the history of the NBA. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. But, but I digress. But uh, sort of. I mean, James Harden's never gotten to the finals. He's a great, great player. Never gotten to the but finals. He's, he's collapsed in some really big moments. And, and Westbrook is a little bit older than Harden. Westbrook has gone to the finals once, but he's on the downside of his career. Harden probably has one, maybe two years, I would, maybe three years at most left in his prime. At most, I would, I would think. So mm -hmm. all of that is part of this, too. You know, if I'm the Rockets at this stage, uh, I'm not going to just trade James Harden to the Nets as he wants. I'm going to shop him and try to get yeah. the best deal because it's very clear that the Rockets, one way or another, the Rockets are going to be significantly worse than they're accustomed to have been the last five years. So, you know, they need to get back whatever they can get. And if you look at the, the history of trades in the NBA, where you trade a bona fide superstar for three or four or five pieces, the team that gets back that package is never good for a long, long time. I mean, it takes a while to rebuild if you're able to rebuild at all. So the Rockets have to understand that. As you said, they've got a new GM. They've got a new head coach, and they've got an owner who is in this terrible predicament with his other businesses, which has been ripped apart by this terrible pandemic. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot of ingredients in this soup, and it is interesting to see how it all plays out. Yeah, definitely. And and, and like you, I, I would be, I'd say I'll, I'll ship them to wherever the best deal is, um, but then, you know, how, how wary are other teams to make that deal if they think they're getting someone who's disgruntled and doesn't want to be there? Uh, there, there, there are a lot of dominoes that are going to fall here. There are. And, and you know, it, it needs to be said, too. With Harden and Westbrook, you're not dealing with uh, the, the, the class presidents here. I mean, that by most accounts, they're not the, the coolest guys to deal with when they're not at least getting their way. So th there's a lot of egos and a lot of attitudes in play here as well, as, as you would expect, because they're demanding trades. Oh, and by the way, what James Harden wants is to unite with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving to, yeah. to create the trio of the, maybe the most moody players in the entire NBA. I don't know how that works. Well, that is a really good point you bring up. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, how, how will that go? I mean, everyone will be interested to see how that would go. I kind of hope it happens because I think, again, one way or the other, the Rockets are pretty much done as a contender here in the West. So let's get Jimmy Harden to play with KD and Kyrie and just see this wonderful explosion happen. I'm, I'm, that's, that's what my vote is. So um, good, interesting. My interesting shifts to baseball. And my mm -hmm. interesting is simply I'm interested in Theo Epstein. Um, yeah, Theo's third act. Theo is uh, has stepped down now as the president of the Chicago Cubs. And Ryan, in my mind, um, Theo Epstein is one of, if not the, most successful executives in the history of baseball at the age of 46. I mean, you just pull up his Wikipedia and the first two paragraphs to me kind of says it all. He became the youngest GM in the history of baseball when the Red Sox hired him when he was 28 years old in 2002. Two years later, 
The Red Sox are holding their first World Series championship trophy in 86 years and then win another one in 2007 under the guidance of then-GM Theo Epstein. But wait, there's more. He leaves the Red Sox and goes to the team that has even a longer World Series drought at this point, and that's the Chicago Cubs, who by all accounts were cursed and could never win the World Series. So they, the Cubs bring him in as president of baseball operations in October of 2011. In October of 2016, the Cubs, of course, have beaten the Indians in Game 7 of the World Series in that rain-delayed epic thriller, and they win their first World Series championship in 108 years. Both of those were with, uh, well, really all three of those were with Theo Epstein pulling mm-hmm. the strings and running the show. I mean, who's got a he's resume? A, he's a Hall of Famer. He, he, he can have his own wing in Cooperstown, yeah. as far as I'm concerned. I mean, who has that resume, Ryan? Nobody, right? Yeah, breaking 200-year droughts for franchises. That well, one was 86, but yeah. No, true, true, yes, <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. I mean, he brought a championship to the two franchises in all of sports. Well, maybe maybe the Canadians or Maple Leafs, but that, you know, that's Canada. In all of American sports, he brought an end to the two worst droughts in the span of what, like 10 years? Um, and now he's a free agent. So he leaves the Cubs two days ago. He's not really sure what he's going to do next. There's rumors abound. But here's what I think. Here's what I hope he does. I hope that Rob Manfred and, and the guys that run MLB, primarily the owners, realize that he's out there and he's not really sure to, what he wants to do. And he, Theo had some really interesting comments on his way out the door of Wrigley Field the other day where he basically said, baseball's the greatest sport in the world, but we've got major problems on our hands. You know, the game, and he, he even took responsibility. He said the game has been adversely affected by analytics from a viewing and playing standpoint. He said, I was one of the guys, you know, he was the first sort of boy genius with no baseball experience, analytic, number-crunching nerd guys to be hired as GM. He was the first. He he said as much. He brought in this whole analytical movement, and he basically said it's kind of ruining the game. And he would like to see, you know, somebody try to figure out how to reverse it. So who's better to figure that out than him? MLB needs to go out, bring him in. You know, obviously he's not going to be the commissioner, but make him, you know, head of the baseball experience or whatever you want to call it. He knows all the owners. He knows all the GMs. He knows all the players. He know, He's a fan of the game himself. He grew up a huge fan of baseball and still is. Put him in charge of figuring out how the fuck to make the sport better. Run the sport <laughs> better. I mean, they're yeah. hurting, Ryan, and I think he would be the perfect guy to do it. And you know what? I've also what I've also heard kicked around, and I really don't know. One of the things that intrigues me about Epstein is I've heard he's interested in dabbling in the NFL. Hmm. And I don't know. I mean, he's a career baseball guy, but I, I wonder how much of his leadership and skill and direction would translate to a completely other sports league with a completely different uh, structure as far as the way the contracts are built and the way the draft process works. But um, I- I'm fascinated by whatever his next move is because he's successful everywhere he goes. Yeah. Um, I would also, I wouldn't mind seeing him um, try to take another franchise who hasn't been there to the top of the mountain. But like you said, I think he could do great things for the game of baseball. And I don't know what he would do in football, but I'd be intrigued there too. I mean, he, he's a talented individual who can essentially write his own job description at this point. And uh, I'll be fascinated to find out what that is next. Totally. And I didn't know about the football thing, but that's yeah, I don't think it's not it's not something that he I don't know that he's ever spoken super seriously about, but apparently he has legitimate interest. Well, who's the guy that was with the Blue Jays that I think the Browns hired? Was it JP Ricciardi? Is that Yes, the, yeah, that's correct. I think he's still with the Cleveland Browns. And they're actually doing a little bit better, I guess, since they hired him. But you know, there's rumors that he is interested in taking over the Padres. Their president stepped down today. Um Epstein went to law school at University of San Diego and started his baseball career interning for the great Larry Lachino there with the Padres, who later came over to the Red Sox and brought Theo with him. So I guess there's some speculation there that Theo might go back to where his career started in San Diego. They've got a great young club, so that would be interesting. But I just, I don't want him, just selfishly, I don't want him to go to another club. 
unless it's the Braves. He, it, whichever club he goes to, they're going to win. I, I just think that that's almost a, a guarantee at this point. I'm just obsessed with the guy. I love him. He's incredible. I mean, he's only 46 years old. He's probably, made, you know, I don't have access to his bank account, obviously. I can't <laughs> imagine that he needs much money, okay? So he he's going to figure out what it is that he wants to do that makes him happy. And I'm just sort of interested and excited to see what that is. And I hope it's not running the freaking Mets or the Phillies, which has also been rumored. But I hope hey, it's I not. Know some peop- I, I know some people here in the Northwest that want him see to want to see him end the Mariners' drought. They haven't been to the playoffs for like 21 years. Well, that would be interesting too. So anyway, that's my interesting of the week. Theo Epstein, fascinated by the guy. Um, let's go in the book, shall we? Let's let's hit the book. Um, college, college, another. Mediocre to not very good college football Saturday. Although, did you know that this game between Ohio State and Indiana, I believe, is the first game between ranked teams in November? Wow, I did not realize that, but I'm pretty I sure believe, that's true. But I believe it with the, with the cancellations and postponements. Postponements, it would make sense. Yeah, and we we have a we have a few this week. We've got that. We've got Wisconsin Northwestern, and we've got Bedlam. Uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. But I digress. I didn't mean to steal your thunder. Do you like no, no, any no. spreads? You know, it's it's really tough, especially it like really on a is. Wednesday when we don't even know what some of the uh, situations are going to be for some of these teams playing and if they're going to be full teams and if games are going to get canceled. Right. So we can really only go on, I guess, what we have uh, in the here and now. There's not a ton that I like in college just because I, I, I almost don't know who's going to be available for, for teams and for different guys uh, or which guys are going to be available for uh, some of the teams in the spots that I might otherwise know. I, I think that Southern Cal has looked very pedestrian. Uh, Utah they barely is, won both their games. Barely against games. They were double digit favorites in both. Yeah. And uh, maybe they come out and stomp Utah, but they got to go to Utah and Utah has been dealing with a ton of COVID cases. They're good to go. I read today. Utah's right, good but to so go. Right, but they, so they haven't played yet, so they should be healthy and champing at the bit, and Kyle Whittingham's teams are tough. So uh, I like Utah getting points at home. I think that's a game that they could actually win. Mm-hmm. Um, Utah still I, has not played, by the way. Yeah, no, they, they have not played yet. <laughs> you are you are correct. <laughs> it, it, um, it's going to be November 20th, and they have not played a game. Yeah, Um <laughs> The let's see what else on this list. Um, there, I, I think Cal got stomped by UCLA last week, but I think Oregon State is really not good at all. Mm-hmm. Cal just a three and a half point favorite up in Corvallis this week. I, w- I would lean towards Cal there, um, but really th- those are the only two uh, that I'm I'm seriously looking at right now. I, I feel like I know the Pac-12 conference better than both, and, and there's there's been so much carnage uh, in these in these other conferences with with COVID and other teams eating each other up. That I'm, I'm not sure. The other one I just have to point out, where I mean I don't have a side, but BYU is favored by 47 and a half this week against North Alabama. I just had to throw that out there. What the hell's BYU doing playing North Alabama? Well, they're independent now, and basically all these leagues wouldn't let them schedule games against right. like right. that weren't in their own conferences. So they had to basically find whatever was available on the scrap heap. No, that's true. Um, okay, couple of games stick out to me. Um, the aforementioned Indiana four and zero ninth ranked Hoosiers visiting the Horseshoe. And the third-ranked Buckeyes. The Buckeyes are favored by 20 and a half. And if you look at the records and the rankings, it seems like way too much. But I think Vegas is telling something. I expect the Buckeyes to land base the Hoosiers and cover that 20 and a half point spread. Um, another interesting game, or at least an interesting spread. It's not an interesting game much at all. Is LSU's favored by three at yeah. Arkansas? Last year they Arkansas, were favored. Arkansas has been plucky too. They've been, they've been, they've been. They tough have. They got smoked in the swamp on Saturday night, but um, they're three and four. You know, this game last year, LSU on their way to a national title in the fifteen and zero season was a thirty-five point favorite to the Hogs. I think I read that one year to the next. That's the biggest swing in spread ever between the you know in the wow. same game 35 yeah, yeah. going down to three just an interesting mm-hmm. sort of factoid there i don't really have a pick i do like iowa minus two and a half going to happy happy valley it's very unhappy these days ryan it's the nittany mm-hmm. lions are zero and four 
I yeah, they're bad. I don't know what's going on there, but I think Iowa's pretty good. They've won their last two, only laying two and a half. I like the Hawkeyes and your boy Kirk Ferentz uh, to to win that game and cover the spread. And then Bedlam. I love I love just saying Bedlam. And I love the mm-hmm. rivalry. Oklahoma's yeah, it's only a, it's a great rivalry. Great rivalry. One of the best. More on that later. Um little teaser there. I, I would lay the points with the Sooners. Only lay in seven to Oklahoma State. Oklahoma owns Oklahoma State in this rivalry lately and always. I would lay the seven with the Sooners. Those are my picks. Who do you like in the NFL? In the NFL, there's only three that really jump out at me. Um, the first one is I like I like Minnesota this week. That line's gone from nine and a half down to seven. Um, Who are they I know playing? that Dallas is coming off oh, the Cowboys, bye, but okay. I don't but I don't care. They're terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the um, that the I, I know that the Vikings are in a short week too, but they're starting to hit their stride. They're just they're feeding Dalvin Cook, and he has been awesome. He is they're, they're amazing. To punch. Can I just they're starting say, to punch. Yeah, like, he's awesome. Watching him on Monday, he didn't really get it going, but he is a special special player. I could watch yes. him every week. I mean, he's a. You watch him run the rock, Ryan, and he he does things that most guys don't do. Yep. Particularly in that Viking uniform, he reminds me a lot of Adrian Peterson. I mean, he's just an amazing running runner of the football. I love him. But there, I mean, the fact that it's a touchdown. If it were over, I might have some pause. But Dallas has been terrible. They've been terrible against the spread. They finally covered the spread against the Steelers. Their first one. Um, so. The first one of the year, yeah. so uh, put put him back on the not covering train for me. Um, the other one I really like is Kansas City minus seven and a half at Vegas. Mostly, there are two reasons here, um, and and one is I don't know. Did you hear about the whole victory lap bus thing that happened? A little so bit. Par- yeah, I mean, basically, I mean, I don't know how serious it is, but basically, reports came out that after the Raiders beat the Chiefs at Arrowhead, they made their bus driver do a, a victory lap around the stadium, and that has now come back out. And Andy Reid has said that uh, you know he he thinks it's dumb or it's bush league. John Gruden is mad that it's come out. He was he complained about the bus driver being a smart aleck or something like that. And so I, I don't know if, if the, if the chiefs or guys in the NFL really need that kind of bulletin board material, but clearly the Raiders thought they were hot shit. And it feels like the kind of game that the chiefs put them back in their place about the other thing, even more importantly, there are eight starters on the Raiders defensive side of the ball that have been put on the COVID list Ooh. due to contact tracing. And so they could all test out by game day, but they might not. And I like the chiefs, to cover this spread anyways, if they're down to their almost entire second string unit, then the Chiefs are going to run away with this thing. So um, I like KC there. And then I like the Rams getting points in Tampa. They're a four-point dog. And I just think the public loves betting on Brady. And I, I just, I think that, I don't, I think the line is skewed. I think this game should be closer to a pick em. I, I guess I, you're getting the home field advantage plus one for Tampa Bay, but they are so up and down, hit and miss, um, that, I like the Rams and the points here. I am with you on that. I like the Rams too. Much better coach. I don't think Bruce Arians is a great head coach. And I love, I just like the Rams. They're solid. I mean, Jared Goff isn't spectacular, but he's solid. I mean, with McVay calling the play action passing game the way he does to put Goff in a position to succeed. I like the Rams there too. Um, The smelly line of the week for me is the Ravens lane six and a half to the visiting Titans. You would think that would be close to a pick'em game. Six and a half feels like way too much. Yeah. So I'm in those I, in those spots. I tend to go with. I, I think that the public's going to take the six and a half points with the Titans. So give me the Ravens, even though it does seem like way too much. Even though I don't love the Ravens. I you know I've said it a bunch. I don't either. But you're you're right. It stinks for a reason. And and you know what? You were absolutely right last week. I, I won twenty bucks on that Colts game. As because, did I. Because every because everybody was on them, and you or I was on the Titans. Excuse 100%. me. And, and I don't really know what is wrong with the Titans, so to speak. I know the Colts have a good defense, but you know it it, it does make you have questions. And I think maybe there's an over. Um, reaction to what the Ravens didn't do in uh, in New England last week that would I, I, I don't know maybe yeah. maybe this is Ravens blowout. Both teams know. coming off a tough loss and AFC. This is a big game for both teams. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't think either team's winning their division, although it's too early to say that. Um, but this is a big game 
big game for each team. But I like the Ravens. They're laying the six and a half. Um, and I like the other game that I really like is Thursday night tomorrow. I like the Seahawks bounce back coming off. Mm. Of, you know, they've been on a tough run. Everyone's taking the points there, Ryan. This line open. Cardinals coming off the high. Yeah, everyone's uh, the Seahawks opened at five and a half. It's been bet down to three. Everyone's on Arizona. Give me Seattle. I love Seattle laying the three. Russell Wilson's going to play great, and the Seahawks are winning. That's a good pick. That's a good pick. Um, all right. Uh, wild card me. You got one? I do. Uh, so a lot has been made today on uh, social media about Justin Herbert getting a haircut. He, uh, okay. he cut the long flowing locks that he had, and they weren't super long. But apparently he let the strength and conditioning coach take a pair of clippers to him, and now he looks like a ninth-grade yearbook photo. So a bunch of media personalities were talking about their worst haircuts ever. Uh, what was your worst haircut ever back when uh, you know we both had full heads of hair? Well, I was going to say, uh, my worst haircut ever is eat, is the most recent one. Um, oh, because I'm having less and less hair. I mean, at this point, we haven't. Seen I guess the, the question was more like youthful hair. Okay. Was there a hairstyle I mean, back in the day? I barely have hair with? at this point, right? I know. Um, I know. So, uh, okay. but, but like back in the day, what did back you go with? Day, it was a bad look. I don't. You know, I'm. Did you ever do the mullet? Never did the mullet. I've been pretty conservative with my hair over the years. I'm. No I, rat tail. No, I know. I do. I've never <laughs> wear. Any sort of hair product, ever, never, ever, ever. I'm very anti-hair product um, <laughs> for myself. I, it's my I've had the same haircut since I was two years old. I think. I, Man, I can't. I mean, you know, a buzz here or there, but not a very wild wild card. Not a wild wild card. I mean, I'm not. I can't even think of, of any. You know, when I was in like when I was in like second grade and, until about sixth grade, I had the bowl cut. Yeah. Like the, the, the like the, you went the, to a Tupperware the, party. Like like looked like I was like uh, Mister Toad or Toadstool from Mario. Like right. I mean like like full on like looked like the like a mushroom cap. Um, my grandfather R.I.P. said that it looked like I had a, uh, the roof of a thatched hut on top of my head, <laughs> and uh, and and so that was not great. And then I also went into the. Uh, uh, bleached tips phase, which wasn't Ooh. horrible. A lot of people were doing it, but I also did a briefly experiment with the Eminem Slim Shady bleach the whole damn thing bl- bright blonde. Uh, not not great either. How old were you at that point? Uh, seventh or eighth grade. Okay, pretty early. Yeah, that's interesting. I never did <laughs> any of that. Like nothing. Never. I don't know. I'm just. I don't. I don't take many liberties with my hair. I. I don't. Never have. Um, okay, right, well. here's my wild card. I, I like this one. So we talked a, a little bit about Bedlam earlier. Mm-hmm. I, I just love that name for a rivalry. I mean, a lot of rivalries have names. We can go through them, the Civil War, on down the line. But that's, Which they have taken away, by the way. Yeah, was, ta- uh, that's a great point. They've taken a lot of them away. We're too woke for that. Um, we're too woke it for, wasn't, for a lot it wasn't of even them. Based, it wasn't even based on the Civil War. It's because... It's a pretty civil rivalry between two teams in the same state. I don't know why we had to get yeah, that. Yeah, that was a casualty of the BLM summer movement um, yeah. somehow. But I digress. Um, I lo- Bedlam is, is still okay, apparently. But I was just thinking, not nicknames for rivalry games. That's not what I'm after here. But what are some of your all-time favorite sports nicknames? Oh, just oh for, for players. Yeah, for players or, or for... Or for oh, groups man. of players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that that's a really good question. I mean, I immediately think back to some of the old Chris Bermanisms. Um, Me too. Th- that's exactly from, from, where my mind goes. From like from back on the old baseball tonight days and mm-hmm. the old Sports Center days, and um, and you know, it's like uh, for some reason it's like not the best players that stand out. Although some of them were good. I mean, like I always remember him saying Mike Pepperoni Piazza. Um, I. I one of, maybe one of the longest ones, Bernard Innocent until proven guilty, oh, was, was another was just was just fantastic. And so, how about and Bert? No, Bert Behome Bly Levin. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he just owned those, and, and really was a jumping off point for a lot of other people to get super creative um, with with other players. So let me let me rack. Those were the ones that just immediately jump out. But let me rack my head a little bit um, while 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 you rattle off some of yours. Okay, well. Obviously, you didn't know this was coming, um, so I had some time to write down. I've got about twenty written down nice. here. I, I don't know if you want me to go through all of them. Fire away. Okay, so uh, 
well, I named one Berman. Two other Bermans that I still love, love to this day, was Eric sleeping with the enemy and mm-hmm. Natron means business. Um, mm-hmm. I love both those players, love those both those nicknames. Then my mind goes to just sort of the classic all-time great baseball player nicknames, whether it's Willie Mays, the Say Hey Kid, Hammerin, mm-hmm. Hank Aaron, Teddy Ballgame for Ted Williams, mm-hmm. and, and Ernie Banks, Let's Play too. I mean, those four, just yeah. so great. I mean, just all-time great players, classic nicknames. Then, uh, you know, more modern ones. Uh, the Big Unit for Randy Johnson. Yeah, it um, just fits so well. The Big Hurt I loved. The Big Hurt was good. The Remember Christian Okoye, the Nigerian Nightmare? Yeah. Loved him. Um, and then guys that just, their name, their nickname kind of became, some, they're, they're, what am I saying? Their nickname became what they were known by more than their regular name. I mean, the, the main guy that comes to mind there is Magic, Magic Johnson. Johnson. You know, mm-hmm. maybe, arguably, the greatest nickname of all time. Then Tiger, Tiger Woods. I mean, how incredible is it that, the you know, one of the great golfers of all time is named Tiger? I mean, it's just yeah. crazy to me. And then another guy that I've always Even loved. Even Buster Posey. Buster Posey, good call. Um, but the Mailman. I always loved the nickname, the Mailman for Carl Malone. Then another mm-hmm. instance, you know, the great... College football player for Notre Dame, Rocket Ismail was a yeah. great one. Then more recently, Johnny Football. Um, yeah, and then a, another one Very that I classic. loved on the basketball was Dennis Johnson, the Microwave. Love that mm-hmm. nickname. And then yeah. I started thinking about not just individual players, but groups of players, whether it's the Splash Brothers for, for yeah. Clay and Steph, the Twin Towers. For David Robinson, I think, and Tim. I think about the uh, the like er, the like the late '90s, early 2000s Astros with the Killer Bees. That was a good one. I hadn't thought of that one, uh, but of course, Run TMC with mm-hmm. the Warriors, the Triplets. You know, the Ake- Bad Boys Pistons. Bad Boys Pistons, good one. Uh, how about the Triplets, Aikman, um, Emmett, and Michael mm-hmm. Irvin? The the three Super Bowls with the Cowboys. Then this is a, another great and one. Here's here's one that you might not know because you you talk about that era. The 49ers secondary in the late 80s that was led by Dwight Hicks, the strong safety, they went by, and my dad used to say this all the time, and I don't think it's known nationally, but they were they were known as Dwight Hicks and the Hot Licks. I've never heard because that. They would, because, they, because, they did, because they dish out a good look if, a lick if you came over the middle. Well, that's um, a good so, one, and it makes me think of two other great NFL defenses, the Steel Curtain and then, yep. of course, the Legion of Boom. For, uh, that's good, and Seahawks. you also, uh, how about the Purple People Eaters? Purple People Eaters, great one, and... The Monsters of the Midway with the Bears. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just a few others. Doc Gooden was a great one, you know, coming and you up. you mentioning that, I was just thinking Dr. J is a great one. Well, Dr. J is an all-time classic. I mean, absolutely. And then just a- as is Tom Terrific, recently passed away, Tom Seaver. Uh, then I think of Jake the Snake, not Plumber, but the original wrestler who, sure. you know, yeah. carried the python out in the bag out to the ring. That was always a lot of fun. And then, you know, just a couple off the beaten paths that I've always loved. Jim Rome. You know, remember when Jeff Kent had the mm-hmm. motorcycle accident and Jim Rome started <laughs> calling him Evil Kent Evil? I lo- <laughs> that was great. That was absolutely yeah. great. And then, to, to bring it full circle in this show, back to my uh, Good of the Week, talking about the Hail Mary to DeAndre Hopkins, the Executioner. Is his nickname? I love that one too. So those are those. Yeah, are he also, does he also go by Nuke? Does he also go by Nuke? Nuke Hopkins? I didn't know. I had not heard that one. I believe he does also go by Nuke, and I'm not sure where it comes from. Um, the other ones too that, that I just think of as like all time classics. The great one we mentioned him earlier Absolutely. this year. Earlier, Gretzky, and then also Mr. October, just signifying that mm. you were the absolute best when the calendar turns. That was that's season. a great all time, no doubt. Mr. October is fantastic. Good lists. Thank you. I mean, did I miss it? I'm sure we've we've missed a bunch, but that I thought that was a pretty good list that I came up with while I was eating lunch. Absolutely, it's, it's an outstanding list. All right. uh, yeah, I, I I could do those for a while, and, and now it makes me just kind of want to dive into the annals of the internet and uh, and look for some of the best of all time. All right, cool. Well, good show. We've done enough damage. Uh, stay safe. The COVID is spiking, and more shutdowns are coming. Uh, but it looks like we might get, I mean, this vaccine news, Ryan, is, a, I think, I mean, it seems to me 
that to have these two vaccines that are, are touting 90% or better effectiveness is about the best news we could get at this point. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I do. I think that, uh, I think unfortunately the next six weeks are going to be really ugly. If not um, longer. You know, just, yeah. And so, I mean, I, I am encouraged at vaccine news early next year. Let's get it out. Ra- there, rather than, rather than, you know, we a need year it. and a half from now or whatever. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it's going to get darker before. It Our ends. society needs it, man. And it's like we've said almost since day one of this thing, the only real solution to this is a medical solution. And it's just incredible that, you know, nine months after discovering this virus, these two groups of scientists seem to have come up with something that can inoculate up to 90% of the population. If that's true, if that's real, that's one of the best things to happen to our society in decades, if not centuries. So no, um, no question. I, I just hope that the good news keeps coming in on that front. So 100%. on that we, note, we agree. have a great weekend, everybody. Good night. Sleep tight. Good, good night, y'all.